G'day, Tilda Joy here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. This episode was recorded in isolation for 3CR Community Radio and broadcast nationally by the Community Radio Network. This program is produced on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. We pay our respects to their elders past and present. This week, we're bringing you an interview with Josh Cullinan, the Secretary of the Retail and Fast Food Workers Union, RAFWU. We'll be chatting about the government's proposed changes to the Better Off Overall test and what the response of a fighting union should look like. Without further ado, let's check that interview out now. All right, we're joined here again by Josh Cullinan, who's the Secretary of the Retail and Fast Food Workers Union. How are you going today, Josh? Going very well, Tilda. Oh, it's good to hear. Now, it's been a little while since we chatted. I think it was maybe the end of September in 2020. Um, but yeah, what's Rafu been up to the last few months? What's new? Well, members um, have been involved in a whole range of different actions over the last, um, well, four or five months now. Um, back in September, we just had uh, the landmark uh, court action, um, which had delivered uh, the industrial right to being able to poop on company time. So um, that was a case where we were litigating that an employer, large franchisee, had coerced children, misrepresented rights and stolen uh, paid rest breaks. Um, And so since then, we've uh, been working on a potential class action uh, with uh, the lawyers at Shine Lawyers. We've also had the penalty outcome in that case. And so uh, we were uh, uh, pursuing penalties against the company and our member who took their stolen breaks as part of that action was able to secure another $10,000 in penalties for what they had experienced. Um, and so a, a good outcome for them, but also for the union to be able to secure penalties as well. And a great judgment, which properly identifies that it's fantastic unions like RAFWU, uh, which are working in the national interest when they take on cases like this. Uh, what else has been going on? Well, we've been dealing with a lot of the COVID aftermath. Um, and you know, and what's still going on with that? Uh, helping workers with health and safety issues, helping workers deal with the lockdowns, um, even the short lockdowns that we're experiencing now in various states uh, from time to time. That's been a large part of our work. We've continued and finalised our JB Hi-Fi um, campaign uh, report. So we did a big survey of hundreds of workers, um, and we're just in the process of releasing that report now, which identifies some absolutely abhorrent and grotesque behaviour that's been um, allowed to go on for far too long in JB Hi-Fi outlets. Uh, And we've continued to run a range of other campaigns. Uh, In September, we ran a fantastic campaign at Woolworths Lilydale to get the lights turned on. Workers were going out to their cars in the dark of night, um, overnight workers that did uh, filling uh, work in the supermarket. They had to go out into a dark, um, unlit car park out the back corner um, of a shopping complex. Um, and so we worked with them to get those lights back on. Our activists that ran that campaign were then targeted by uh, management at Woolworths. And so in December, we launched prosecutions against Woolworths Group for this outrageous attack on these workers engaging in very simple industrial activity doing a petition, launching a dispute, fighting for a safe workplace. At the same time, we also launched uh, litigation against JB Hi-Fi, who had banned union campaigns in their workplace and put out an edict that workers who would otherwise be able to wear logos and tees with all sorts of emblems and symbols, they could keep doing that as long as it didn't have the RAFWU emblem and wasn't promoting RAFWU 
Oh, it's funny. You can you can wear a Napalm Death T-shirt to to work at JB Hi-Fi, but not a not a union T-shirt. That's right. If it had a Raflu symbol on it, then it was uh, it was banned. And so we've launched the litigation there again, landmark litigation against JB Hi-Fi, um, because they took that action because we dared fight for health and safety in the workplace for an end to uh, sexual harassment and gender discrimination. Um, and so these are the sorts of tactics that we come up against all the time in retail and fast food. And uh, we've done that survey, we've completed that report, but we've also launched that litigation to uh, try and expose these behaviours and hold them to account. So there's been lots on. We've also uh, advertised a range of jobs and uh, a bunch of fantastic members have taken on jobs, um, including new organisers uh, in Brisbane, in Melbourne, in Adelaide, and uh, for the first time, a full-time organiser out of Perth. So uh, it's been a huge few months um, and we're looking forward to 2021. Sounds absolutely massive. I guess the other thing um, I was wondering if you could just comment on quickly, it happened this week, is uh, there's a big shutdown on Facebook. Uh, Rafu was kind of somewhat impacted by that, not so much as some other pages maybe, but I um, just wondering if you've got anything to say about you know, what, what that signals for the union movement at the moment. I know I received a, an email from Sally McManus saying that Facebook is stopping people from joining their union. Uh, sure. We've relied um, on Facebook to be able to communicate with members and non-members ever since we launched. Um, and in the weeks after we launched, we saw, a, uh, we saw uh, the SDA try and launch a series of their own pages to try and... Um, Try, try and get into that space, I guess. Um, we've used it very effectively to communicate with members and potential members, to communicate with the broader community, to share news, um, and also to create news. And so it's been one way in which we've been effectively able to communicate in a scenario where otherwise um, a, a huge number of apologists paid or paid in, in cash or in um, in political favours by the SDA would otherwise silence us. So these forms of social media have been an important part of us being able to be um, heard and to get our messages out. Um, so when we were uh, we were zucked um, by uh, those uh, the, the, on that first day, uh, it was it was disappointing. I mean, our action is in workplaces. It's amongst members. It's collective. Um, so it was disappointing. It wasn't the end of the world um, for those organisations which are simply offering a brand um, and a retail purchase style uh, membership. Well, I guess it's even it's disastrous for them, and that's why we might have um, seen a lot more activity out of the ACTU and concern from the SDA. But for for Rafu, I mean, we get on with the task. Um, we're able to keep sharing our messages now. A day later, we can get back on Facebook and share the stories of our members um, and interact with. Uh, members and potential members. Um, and um, I think in terms of the broader picture, well, it's a sign of things to come. Um, this is all about Murdoch and the Liberal government flexing their might, and now Zuckerberg and Facebook flexing their might. And of course, in the midst of all of that, uh, are workers, um, workers like you and I, um, that are just going about our daily, our daily tasks. Um, and um, we're the ones caught up in this battle. And I think what's what's essential at this time is that we start thinking about other forms of communication and in particular having systems which are essential. We consider water essential. Nobody should go without water. Nobody should go without electricity. No one should go without um, forms of communication, um, shelter and food. And one, you know, it's 
forms of communication includes these kinds of social media. Um, so we need to think about, well, what, what can we do as a society and a community to ensure that we can all communicate with each other? And if that means um, legislative protections um, or other systems, which maybe aren't so profit motivated, um, would be another way. And, um, you know, we'd love to explore with other progressive organisation systems which can engage a very wide audience, um, but not have the power rested in individuals. Fair enough. Um, well, I thought we'd turn now to a topic that a lot of unionists have been talking about, which is the attacks on the boot, um, which is the better off overall test. Um, there's some proposed legislative reforms uh, to a lot of Australia's industrial relation laws. Um, and there's been a pile of submissions coming into the Senate at the moment. And I've read one from RAFU recently, and I thought it was fantastic. And I was wondering if you could uh, expand on that. Yeah, so we've seen what's been called colloquially in the media, the omnibus bill, uh, which attacks a whole range of different things. It's born out of the secret negotiations between big business and their SDA and the others that participated in those bizarre discussions. We said last year, early last year, in March and April, when these things were being mooted, that nobody should be participating in this that considers themselves a representative of workers. No unionists should be participating in those discussions. Um, of course, some felt that it was the only way that they could derive relevance, having, um, having had uh, a couple of years of failed campaigning. The problem we now have is fast forward eight months, ten months later, and we've got this proposed legislation, which is an outright attack on working people. And unfortunately, the broader union movement in Australia has lost nine months. Um, with um, chocky bickies and footsie going on in these various secret confidential discussions. Um, and some of the proposals now levelled against workers are in fact proposals dreamt up or endorsed by people that purport to be representing workers in those negotiations. The proposals themselves attack workers on a range of fronts. The particular concerns that RAFRU has are focused on what they intend to do to casual workers, to award-based part-time workers, um, and to enterprise agreements. Um, and we certainly did put in a submission. That's because a large number of those changes, particularly in relation to the awards, but, but also the enterprise agreements, a large number of those changes are proposed purely because of the success of RAFWU. Um, they don't mention RAFWU at once in the hundreds of pages of explanatory memorandum. Um, or regulatory impact statement. They mentioned third parties, they mentioned bargaining representatives, they mentioned other unions. They use words like that, but they don't use RAFWI, but every, almost every example. Every example is either the CFMEU and some of the technical cases they ran with great success, or a range of the very large cases that RAFWI ran in returning stolen wages. And so that's where this is coming from. This legislation is proposed by big business. So we're talking Woolworths Group, we're talking Coles Group, we're talking Wes Farmers, McDonald's, KFC and others, massive businesses that employ over 100,000 workers each. Um, and those businesses have been forced over the last four years because of RAFWU to replace or terminate rotten old dodgy SDA agreements, which literally cost millions of workers billions of dollars. A billion dollars a year is what we've returned to workers through those campaigns. And that's what we highlight in our submission. These changes are directed at returning or stealing back that billion dollars. We've returned the minimum 
stripped these SDA deals, gotten rid of them or replaced them. They want a system with, which will allow them to go back to those dark old days, to weaken the better off overall test, to weaken genuine agreement making, to provide a whole range of other systems for bosses to make deals which cost millions of workers billions of dollars. Um, so we're deeply concerned by it. We've put in our submission. Uh, we, we raised this last March and April. We, we, we've always been saying the same thing because it was so foreseeable. You're listening to Stick Together, recorded for 3CR Community Radio, coming to your local community radio station by the Community Radio Network. In particular, I've noticed there's some elements of the proposed changes in regards to casuals and casual conversion and a, um, a marked weakening of the provisions that already exist. Um, what's referee's kind of analysis on that? Yeah, so there's a couple of things going on with that. There's a proposed definition for casual employees, which will set this statutory um, basis for what a casual employee is. Um, and, it's, and, and, and the point of that is to undermine a recent full court, federal court decision which um, stipulated that a casual worker, uh, that, a, that a worker who has a firm advanced commitment to further ongoing work is not a casual worker and is entitled to annual leave, sick leave um, and redundancy pay and other conditions. Um, and so that was nothing new. That goes, that's been around for 12 years, but the bosses have claimed that that's um, a major change of some sort. Um, and so the government wants to put in place a definition which will stipulate that that's that a casual worker is someone who doesn't have that. The problem is it's just a concoction. It's an absolute furphy and a lie. So um, so we've called for um, a very more very clear and alternative path, and that is for um, any work to be ongoing work, and for the society to have a responsibility to every worker that work be ongoing and secure. Um, but also what we're really concerned about is the conversion structure is an entire furphy. There is no enforcement mechanism. The, the provisions are not um, civil penalty provisions, but there's no dispute structure. So, so you can imagine if you've got a concern that you haven't been properly offered part-time work or when you apply for conversion and you, the boss says no, you want to do something about it, there is literally no pathway to do something about that. Um, so it's an entire furphy created to sort of give a smokescreen of, um, of an opportunity for workers when it just does not exist. And this is in circumstances where casual workers were the targets, the worst impact of this pandemic. They were forced to work when unwell. They were forced to work through a global pandemic, which not only caused disease and death for them and their families, that cost them in huge ways as well. These workers were excluded if they didn't have 12 month service from the JobKeeper arrangements. So these are the workers who we should be providing the most support for through this kind of legislation. And it's the opposite. It's targeting them, it's offering them nothing and it's stripping them of the annual leave and that sick leave and redundancy pay they would otherwise be entitled to. And we've seen it as well with casual workers in hotel quarantine, and things like that. It's uh, it's a public health issue at this point in time as well that people can't access ongoing work. I was reading in another one of the um, submissions, they described the difference being between 
the acceptance of an offer of work and the conditions then, and the subsequent behavior of the employer. So if you accept casual employment at the start and then they start treating you like a permanent employer, currently there is some mechanism to find your way to permanent work, but under the new legislation, if they treat you like a full-time worker, even though they hired you as casual, you're always casual because that's what you agreed to at the start. Uh, that's, that's a pretty exactly, glaring loophole, isn't it? Well, that's exactly that's exactly right. And this was fixed 11 years ago when in the Williams-McMahon case, it was exposed and it was said for what it is. That worker that was initially engaged as a casual is actually not a casual and they're entitled to the National Employment Standards rights, including annual leave and sick leave. And since that day, 11 years ago, since that day, every employer that exploits casual workers has been on the hook for the annual leave, the sick leave and the redundancy pay that they should have been paying those workers. And not one statutory authority, not the Fair Work Ombudsman, not the government, no one has been out there litigating and recouping the billions and billions of dollars these employers have been stealing from workers. We look at somewhere like Kmart, 85% of their workforce is casual. They say in their submission to the Fair Work Commission for their new agreement, their casuals are ongoing. That, that, that's their literal statement. Their casuals are ongoing. But we have not seen the Fair Work Ombudsman, the SDA or anyone else go out there and sue Kmart for the annual leave and the sick leave they've stolen from 100,000 workers over the last 10 years. That's the glaring omission in what's going on at the moment. These employers know they've been stealing from workers and they've done absolutely nothing to pay back those wages. They're just trying to change the definitions and change the law now retrospectively so these workers won't get what they're entitled to. Yet again, another version of legalising mass wage theft. Well, that's a perfect segue because that's what I wanted to chat to you next about was um, the submission, uh, particularly as it pertains to, to wage theft and the various ways in which that's been legalised through uh, poor interpretations of, uh, in particular, the better off overall test. Um, and that's been going on for quite some time and a lot of people knew about it, right? That's right. Um, so there's been no, no, to be clear, though, there's been no... In poor interpretation of the better off overall test, the Fair Work Commission relied on the evidence, the statutory declarations of employers and of their SDA, and the Fair Work Commission approved agreements where it should never have approved them. And that has been going on for 10 years. Until 2016, that was going on every year, multiple times a year, with the SDA putting forward agreements with bosses, which left workers manifestly worse off than they would have otherwise been under the minimum award. Absolutely. Uh, one of the stories in there uh, included was around uh, a deal in Tasmania, which is uh, important to me because uh, I was a Hungry Jacks worker in Tasmania in the mid-2000s, and a deal that was cut between uh, the SDA and Hungry Jacks, which manifestly underpaid all of their workers. Um, and there's strong evidence that in other other situations, the SDA has taken almost the opposite attitude to what agreements should have and how the boot should be applied. That's right. So in the Hungry Jacks case was a really important example because it was one of the only ones where litigation was launched over the underpayment. And that's because the SDA had forgotten 
to get the agreement they cut with Tasmanian Hungry Jacks approved. Because it was never approved, it never applied. And so workers were entitled to the higher minimum that they should have had under the award. And so there was this um, really remarkable case where the Fair Work Ombudsman intervened. And I think it was about you know, $700,000 had to be repaid to almost 700 workers for just that year or two at the time. Um, and so that's that was an important case for that reason. But what we know is that that kind of approach, SDA cutting deals with big business, has been going on for decades. It went on before the Better Off Overall test came in in 2009, but it certainly continued under the Better Off Overall test. And we see these massive employers, Coles, Woolies, others, um, that were cutting these deals and in return recruiting for the SDA, um, but we're cutting these deals, which cost workers literally uh, billions of dollars. Yeah, it's uh, remarkable stuff. And then uh, there are examples of smaller businesses who aren't willing to cut a deal with the SDA um, kind of being taken to task on these very same issues that the, the boot should apply to every worker and uh, like a much stricter interpretation, which they would claim later when RAFWU came to exist, um, was a new interpretation of the boot. That, that's right. So what we had was um, we had this sort of scenario where the um, the boot, once it came in, was being um, explained and defined exactly as it is. Everyone understood what it was. And I think the SDA even made its own submissions to Senate inquiries and others where they would claim that the boot had to be applied to every single worker. Um, but the problem for um, the, the SDA and big business was that they wanted to have a competitive advantage over smaller businesses. Um, and so we had smaller businesses put to the wall, made broke, um, because they were obliged to pay a penalty rate on the weekend. So, for example, McDonald's, until February this year, this, uh, until February, um, gone just a year ago, so it's just over a year ago now, um, they didn't pay penalty rates on weekends, whereas your local fish and chip shop or your local burger joint had to pay a 50% penalty rate on a Sunday and a 25% penalty rate on a Saturday. And so because of the SDA support, and in return they recruited for the SDA, McDonald's didn't have to pay it. And you can imagine the competitive dynamic that that brings against small business. I mean, it's just... it's mind-boggling that the federal agencies haven't seen this for what it is. Um, and so, yes, the SDA knew exactly what it was doing. It talked about these kinds of arrangements in multiple Senate submissions. And then we have small business um, that didn't recruit for the SDA being targeted for um, some kind of um, particular focus uh, when, in effect, they just weren't in on the deal. It's astonishing stuff. So I was wondering if you could just maybe outline a few of the recommendations you've made in the submission um, to the Senate and what, what you hope to see. Well, um, we were straight up in our submission that we just didn't believe that, um, that the proposal to um, have the boot not apply to some agreements because of the pandemic for a couple of years was in any way serious. Um, it was a sacrificial part of the legislation that the government could give up early, and that's exactly what we've seen already. Uh, what we would like to see is a few key things. The first is, is that casual employment, in the way that we know it in Australia, which is prohibited in many parts of the world, 
that the casual employment should be prohibited in Australia. Every worker should have the right to be able to not be at work when they're unwell, to have some basic family leave, annual leave, spend time with their family, their friends and their loved ones each year, to have the security to know that they will have some minimum number of hours next week, the week after that. We think that that is just good, good civil society, good democracy to have a level of security for employees. And if nothing else, the pandemic has shown us how important that is. There are all sorts of solutions to the naysayers, many of them in the left, but there are all sorts of solutions for the naysayers about how that could be managed in certain sectors which are seasonal. We have a, a opportunities through government regulation that could simply put in place systems to ensure security for all employees in Australia. The statutory authorities should get out there and prosecute on the basis of Williams-McMahon and Rosado judgments every single employer, starting with the big ones, the big exploiters of casual labour, should be prosecuting them and recovering the stolen wages that those, that those employers have stolen from their purportedly casual employees who were anything but casual. Uh, in terms of the changes to the better off overall test and the changes to agreement making, all of those should be abandoned. The whole point of this is that the system works. The system works because RAFU has applied it properly and ensured that the minimum is returned to hundreds and hundreds of thousands of workers. This weekend, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of workers will earn far, far more in wages because of what RAFU has been able to achieve in the last four years. At its core, only one thing is broken in bargaining, and that is the theft of the right to strike, the human right, the human right to collectively bargain, to organise, and to, at its core, withhold one's labour, should be restored. At the moment, there are far too many strictures placed on that, and it's all in the boss's favour. We have this ridiculous situation at the moment at Coles supermarkets where they're able to shut down a distribution centre and put workers out the front on the grass without wages, lock them out from the workplace at the same time as Coles supermarkets is arguing in the Fair Work Commission with us that it refuses to bargain. It refuses to bargain with Coles supermarkets retail workers. And those retail workers, Coles says, need to present 50,001 petitions to the Fair Work Commission to even get a look in on bargaining. What we need back is proper litigation of casual work exploiters and the right to strike. That's what we need in Australia. Beautiful. Thanks for joining us, Josh. Thanks, Tilda. Well, that's it for Stick Together this week. Stick Together is produced for 3CR Community Radio in so-called Melbourne. Stick Together is made possible through the financial support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation, and we come to you on the Community Radio Network through your local community radio station. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au, and you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. My name's Tilda Joy, and remember, wherever you are or whatever you do, there's a union for you. Until next time, stick together. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.